Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm pretty sure there have been a few rough Saturday nights in Evan's past where he took more shots than the Red Wings had on Monday. <laughs> I'm sad he's not here to hear that. Here, I hold on, hold on, I'll, I'll be Evan for his response. Oh, buddy, the whole rub the jacket into the mic thing that he does. If you guys ever hear weird noises, <laughs> it's just it's Evan. It's just Evan. He does this thing where he grabs his hat and then just like rubs his head or like he has like one of those uh polyester like ski snowboard jackets and he'll just i just assume those were made of tarp oh. and he moves and it sounds like you're crinkling one of those bags of sun chips that they had that sounded like a jet engine and i look at him he goes what <laughs> he really is just a family guy bit at this point honestly just one long family that's why when he makes uh like good points in hockey you and i just both are like oh Right, yeah. yeah. Forgot you had those. And then the next day he'll be like, "Wait, Phil Blue's on the team?" <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Evan would have been absolutely out shooting the Red Wings. Man, that was a game. This return from the All Star break has been appalling. The other night, um, Mel and I were at home and we were sitting. And usually, when we know there's a game that I'm going to cover. Um, we try to get some stuff done and make some dinner early, but we just got like talking, watching YouTube videos, doing nothing. And then it was like 6.45 and she's like, oh, we haven't even gotten started on dinner yet. And I was like, oh, let's just like start. So 6.45, we start. Um, it's seven o'clock. She goes, hey, I'll finish dinner. Like go cover the game. And I was like, uh, it's all right. She's like, what? <laughs> I was like, I literally, I, I had it playing on the, the laptop. I put the laptop in the kitchen. She goes, it's important that you pay more attention. I was like, I promise you I'm not missing anything. I'm listening. I'm watching on in a cursory way. I'm telling you they're not one team is playing hockey right now. I, I had to work late Monday. So I put it on at work. And, uh, by the end of the second period, we had the Leafs Panthers game on. I just, I couldn't anymore. <laughs> I don't think the customers liked it. I don't think the rest of my staff liked it. It was. Oh, man. Yeah. I'll, and I was enjoying it so little that I couldn't justify pissing off everybody else, no matter how funny that would be to me. I'll gladly watch every Red Wings game I can. Like Genuinely, like it's it's Stockholm Syndrome this season. And you just keep reminding yourself. It's like when Adam Wilde from Steve Dangle's podcast said, like, I was listening to the Winged Wheel guys and they just sound sad and they just have to like embrace it because you know you're going to be better. And you you remind yourself of that and it helps. Like we went through twenty five years be of success. Hold on, this season? No, 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 no. And that's the thing: we can put up with sucking for a few years. Yeah, you can be upset about the five years prior when you should probably have gone through this process in the first place. But we digress. Um, but man, when you're actually in the weeds in it, like you're you're watching the second period of a game against the Flyers, where like the only reason you're not down is because the Flyers just haven't capitalized. You're it is something. Yeah, I I joyfully start. Every Red Wings game, and admittedly, I'm 50-50 to be paying any attention by the end of the game at this point. Even if I'm home with nothing to do, I think I mentioned it last time, there's just points where I'll just like slowly devolve into my phone, and then it, oh shit, I missed 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm happy when Twitter picks up, because yeah. I'm like, oh, something to do. Yeah, Twitter entertains me more. Twitter talking about the game entertains me more than the game. Um, the memes are good. Quality memes coming out this season. Yeah. Um, yeah, the... The last game was particularly hard to watch, but 
still did it. One thing I want to apologize to you, Brad, for is um, when we wrapped up draft coverage last season, because obviously last season was our most extensive uh, pre-draft coverage and then post-draft recap. Like that was, you know, probably March through July we were doing that stuff. Yeah, we should probably start sooner this year. Yeah. And well, it's almost March now. Technically, I think we started last episode. Yeah. And, and then this, ep- this episode, yeah. 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 Um, it was I at the end of it, I said to you, I was like, Oh, thank God. Like that was just a grind. Like finally we're done. I promise you, I will not complain this year. <laughs> <laughs> because the Red Wings are not out of this rebuild yet. They won't be out of this rebuild, and we need something substantial to talk about. I will not complain this year about it. Honestly, if the Red Wings get second overall and pick like Stutzla or Askarov, I'll almost be appreciative because that'll give us like a month worth of content. Oh, that would be great. Even if I don't agree with the pick, just the content. Yeah. Mm, it'll it'll sustain us. Well, thanks for listening to that diatribe. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm sick of this team. Um, myself and sick of this team are carrying it today. Uh, bef- uh, Evan's gone, but for a uh, very good reason. So uh, we're keeping him and his family in our uh, uh, our thoughts today. He'll be back soon, though. Um, those of you who are on Discord saw some Evan sightings on Discord, which was actually kind of funny. He went in there and was like, oh, today this thing worked. <laughs> we're like, oh, Evan. You're here. Um, so today, as you can see by the title of this episode, we have returning uh, guest Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, draft expert. And guys, let me tell you, um, it was a great, great interview. Um, one thing I noticed about Scott is that like, when we do interviews with people, there's people who, when we talk to them off the air, we're like, oh, you, this is awesome. You almost wish that you could put that on the episode. But then when you get them in the interview, they're good. Like, they're, I don't think we've had a bad interview before, but... Sometimes it's like you do the interview and you can tell they only have what they have to offer and that's it. But when you get Scott talking about prospects and, and scouting and everything, like if he could go, he, he could fill up our whole airtime and we'd be happy to let him do it. Uh, he has so much to offer. So I was really pumped to see that. Um, I, Brad, I just noticed something. Daniel Rossi of RD Woodworking, sponsor of this podcast, uh, who made us this custom table, went through all that effort for uh, me to put a red solo cup in, for you to put a uh, candy wrapper on there. We're terrible. You're talking about. <laughs> We're terrible people. I don't know what you're talking about either. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in this solo cup. Um, you're telling me I can't leave the remnants of my dinner on this table. And for those who are wondering, my dinner is basically um, Cliff Energy Blocks. It was edibles. Don't lie. We're in Canada. I, yeah, I don't know what they put in them. They were they had the consistency of a gummy bear. You could have got a lot of stuff in there. Uh, Am I even here right now? Speaking of needing edibles, um, watching the Red Wings game, uh, we're going to talk about the Flyers game very quickly. Look, we're going to get to this again in a second. What are you doing? Are you reading the ingredients? <laughs> we're no. going to get to this again in a little bit. But this game was a perfect demonstration of how no goalie in this league can save this team because Jonathan Bernie stood on his head, put up a 933 save percentage. I believe he put up a 964 at even strength. Um, and the game wasn't even particularly close. The Red Wings got, as we often say, walked all night. My one controversial opinion, one, my con- my biggest controversial opinion I had on a recent Patreon exclusive episode doesn't seem so bad now, does it, Ryan? That was my first thought. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, I graded him too low. I graded Bernie far too low. Um, I'm yeah. not saying he's the best player on this team right now. I'm not not saying that though. After Zadina got injured, 
he's absolutely playing like the best player on this team right now. I mean, even without. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, the- I, like it sounds like hyperbole or just straight up sarcasm. Bernier should be in the Vesna candidate, uh, like conversation with what he's done with what he has this year. He's over nine oh seven on a team where you could argue Madison Bowie is the second best defenseman at worst third. Think about that. The Red Wings are, we talk about goal differential a lot. You guys know the Red Wings goal differential is twice that of the next like worst, blah, 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 blah. The Red Wings are allowing on average, if you put out an average Red Wings game, almost practically four goals a night. And his goal and Bernier's goal the goals against average is sub three. Below three. That's good for a goalie on a good team. It's sub three. The amount of goals he lets in per 60 minutes is below three. On a team that is that is you got like that is absolutely wild. The 908 save percentage is hard to look at and say, oh, he's doing great. But this is a team that lets in four goals a night. You know how many shots you need to save if a team to get above a 900 save percentage of a team is scoring four goals a night, 36, 36. So I'm making up a metric here, but rate adjusted, he's averaging more than 36 goals or 36 saves a night. If a team is scoring four goals. And if it, it sounds harsh to say, but just put his numbers up next to Jimmy Howard, Jimmy Howard, still a capable goalie looks like an amateur on this team behind this defense. And Bernier doesn't there's a reason jimmy howard has two wins jimmy howard has been fine since the all-star break i think he's put it together a very like he's put together good enough games where the team should have been able to win if they were a half decent team in front of him and he's put together zero wins in that time yeah um so is bernie but (laughs) his body's shutting down jimmy howard's like we can say that and that's fine he's well past when that should have happened he's given this team a lot of over over performing years um but bernie is by far, like I would say, orders of magnitude better and more reliable than him this year, and that's that's fair. That's fine. That's why they brought Bernie on because they thought Howard can't stay forever. We're either going to trade him or he's going to have to retire because he's going to you know wear out, and that's what's happening. Bernie put up a, a nine thirty three has uh, a nine, like a roughly nine oh eight save percentage, a sub three goals against average on a team that's allowing nearly four goals a game, and the Red Wings still got destroyed. They put up sixteen shots on goal. They put up five shots a period and one bonus. That's that's one shot every four minutes of hockey, roughly. Think about that. Four minutes to record one shot. And how many of those shots do you think were high danger? I'm guessing not many. Uh, in the last eight games, is it? Uh, Alex Ovechkin has outscored the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings... Uh- haven't scored in the last 129 minutes. So that's two games in the last nine minutes of the uh, previous game. They've offered it. Look, we know this team is bad. Everyone, this it's a bad team. And then everyone's who's good is hurt on this bad team. This team's bad. I don't even get angry about lines anymore. Cause what are they? It doesn't do? matter. It doesn't literally blash. It doesn't matter. What and what else can he do? Everyone's like, why is Bertuzzi on the third line? What does it matter? And what else can he do? There's no one left on this team. Everyone is hurt. This team is bad, and a goalie won't save them. Even if Howard and Bernier were putting up nine thirty threes most night, this team would still be probably the worst team in the league. Sixteen shots on goal. 
absurd. Uh, Sean Tierney's uh, charts where he ranks <laughs> shots for, shots against. Um, the His chart goes down to, I think it's like 44 shots for per game and then like 68 against or something like that. In the shots for, Detroit's literally like their logo is three quarters off of the chart. They are so far behind the rest of the league in terms of generating offense. I'm not exaggerating. You can only see about a third of the logo. <laughs> They are running off the grid. It must be so hard for him and like Micah McCurdy who are trying to make like beautiful visualizations and they have to zoom them out so much. Because so much precision chasm just to get Detroit on there. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, there's only so much so many ways we can say that was a bad game. It was a bad game. Their next game is tomorrow. Some notable things. Gustav Lindstrom was called up, which will be really great to see him, uh, you know, have his look. I feel bad for any player who's having their look right now in the NHL because they are not playing with a very supportive cast. Um, my expectations aren't through the roof for Lindstrom, but it, it'll still be interesting enough to watch. And also Hiroshi will be back. Neat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you can't expect too much from those guys, but it, it will be fun to watch them. And you do want that, want to see them do well. You know, Hiroshi has had uh, really positive times in the NHL and really poor demonstrations. So uh, you'd hope that he takes advantage of this opportunity. And then same with uh, Lindstrom, like, this is how he's going to get his look. He hasn't been busting down doors by any means, but with enough injuries, he was going to get his uh, look. And Eisenman and, and Blaschel are going to see what they have in Lindstrom. So, and it's Lindstrom with a D. So for all you people who with an N, that's with, the, that's the yeah, with an you N, need yeah, to focus on. Yes, there. yes, yes, yes. Sorry for uh, all of you who uh, mispronounce Lindstrom's name. You can as Lindstrom. Now you're right. You can say Gustav Lindstrom. Uh, It'll, it's it's a good opportunity for him, albeit under not under the best circumstances. Still gives us a reason to watch on Thursday. So that's uh, wow. Our like twelfth ranked prospect playing on a bottom pair is one of the best reasons we have to watch hockey right now. Let's just get to the interview. Oh my god! Thursday, Scott. Thursday against Buffalo, Friday against Columbus, and then Sunday uh, against Boston. Probably before you hear from us next. Should we live stream Boston? By Boston? No. Yeah, let's do it. No, what I is a, it? I might not be able to. You said you're free all Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Sunday I am. Yeah. It's at 1230, so it's great. Me, because he's got swimming at 1230. I can tag in halfway. Hell yeah. I'll have the keg tapped. Beauty. It, it's definitely not already tapped in this red solo cup. Uh, okay, so we have our interview with Scott Wheeler. It's great timing because for those of you who read uh, his stuff online, he is releasing his uh, prospect pipeline ranking. So that is a team-by-team ranking uh, from 31 all the way up to 1. And uh, the Red Wings unironically came top 10 in something. So uh, the Red Wings came ninth uh, in the league in terms of uh, ranking their set of prospects that they have in the pipeline 23 and under. And so we decided to have Scott back on to talk about that and the upcoming NHL draft. Um, We're going to start leaning into draft content more and more. And let me tell you, this conversation with Scott was really, really interesting. He had a lot of interesting stuff to say. say. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, It's going to kick a lot of stuff into gear for us uh, in terms of the discussions we're going to be having for the picks the Red Wings uh, will be making. Um, We're definitely going to have Scott back on before the draft and then again uh, after it as usual. So uh, tune in, enjoy. This is Scott Wheeler of The Athletic giving us his draft and prospect expertise. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are here with uh, recurring, recurring guest uh, star Scott Wheeler, uh, national national reporter covering the NHL draft for the Athletic. 
prospects expert. Scott, thank you so much for joining us again today. Cheers. Happy to be on, as always. So uh, we we try to touch base once every little while, and I know we got in twice last year before the draft where we went over some pretty logical hypotheticals, and then after the draft when uh, more insider happened. So um, this time it's a little bit more scheduled because you just dropped your uh, prospect pool rankings for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a monster project over the last, I don't know, two three months i kind of really started digging into it and started putting all of my other obligations at the athletic to the side in november uh, and then built out the rankings in november december and then obviously went away to the world juniors in ostrava and then came back and and really started diving into the actual writing I, i built out notes on most of the players and made sure that i had viewings on basically all of the kids before i left and then obviously you make a couple of tweaks for some of the more notable guys at the world juniors and try to update your viewings on some of the lesser known guys sort of towards the bottom of the list before you publish the ranking just to make sure that your my ducks are in a row if you will so it, it's been it's been a lot I, this is my first time ever doing all 31 teams i've done prospect rankings here and there for markets that have kind of called on me to do it at, at the athletic over the years but i've never really done all 31 of them in one fell swoop and it ended up being five so it's obviously quite the task but we're getting down to the wire now. I'm I'm actually working on team number five today, so I'm a few days ahead of the actual releasing of, of the list because Detroit just dropped at number nine today. But um, yeah, I'm almost done with the the sort of writing world, and and we'll get to debate and argue about them for the next couple of months, I would imagine. Yeah, there, you need a certain boldness to assign a number ranking uh, to a bunch of teams that you don't necessarily have an affiliation with. So kudos to you for braving <laughs> that storm. Um, yeah. and I, every time you come on here, you have a, a penchant for saying or doing something to win over a bunch of wings fan. And, and you didn't miss a step today because you gave Detroit fans, uh, an unironic top 10, as I noted today on Twitter, because the, you put the Red Wings in as the ninth best prospect pool in the NHL, um, which was a silver lining in what's been a pretty rough season. Red Wings fans. Uh, so let, let's dive in and, and start with uh, who you place as number one and, and how you came to that uh, conclusion. Well, I think Cider is is the obvious choice there. Once Zadina and more of a debate between Zadina and Cider pre his sort of graduation to the NHL here, but I ultimately made the decision to, to not include Philip at all just because it looks like he'll finish the year in Detroit towards the end of this season i expect that he'll be a sort of 82 game player next year and at that point you you sort of move on from being a, a factor as a prospect in a list like this for me so at that point it became clear that it was cider i just obviously just got back from ostrava and he was outstanding he was actually so good that i considered putting him um on my all-star ballot, despite the fact that the Germans had to play for relegation, which is pretty rare. You don't often see players in the relegation round who are in contention for the all-star ballot. So um, Cider was really good. I, I thought that at the tournament that Rasmus Sandin was sort of the clear cut number one, number one defenseman on the ice for any of, any of the 10 teams at the World Juniors. And then there were three or four other players that I thought deserved real recognition in the sort of argument for that second place on the media all-star ballot and cider didn't end up making my my sort of number two spot i ended up uh, using igor zamua the standout from the philadelphia flyers but 
Sutter was great. I mean, he's been outstanding all year. He's played huge minutes with uh, Grand Rapids, playing upwards of 30 minutes on many occasions. He actually told me that he has often eclipsed 30 minutes at the World Juniors when I chatted with him. Um, so he's playing huge minutes. He's kind of doing everything that you expect if you're familiar with Moritz Sider's game for him to do. He's calm with the puck. He's completely unfazed defensively against good players. He does a really good job shutting down top players. And that was true at the world juniors um, where when he was on the ice, the Germans looked like they could compete with anyone. And when he wasn't on the ice, it looked like a little bit uh, sort of the other direction, if you will. So um, he's just good. He, there's not a lot of flair to his game. And one of the things that I highlighted in my description of him um, in this prospect ranking in particular, was one of the things that can frustrate me or frustrate uh, me with him, I should say, is that he is who can be a little bit too deferential to his line mates. He's the kind of player who, when he gets the puck at the offensive zone blue line, isn't immediately looking to make something happen and to break down the the, the sort of oncoming four checker with a deke or. To, to to sort of look to the net as a shooter, he kind of gets the puck and then he immediately looks side to side thinking, who can I give it to? And I think for the true top defenseman in the game, you don't want that, uh, that sort of mentality. You want a player who really wants to take over and be aggressive and is looking to make a play before he looks to pass off the puck and, uh, Cider, he just always seems to defer to his line mates a little bit too much, even on the power play. So I think that that is an area where he can really take some steps because he has a lot of talent and he has the skill to be able to make plays. And, um, so that, that, if anything, is probably my only concern. Otherwise he, for his age, he's an extremely mature defender. He's got a lot of offensive skill that you sort of could pre- safely project to the NHL level. Um, and he obviously has the size and the length in the skate. Uh, he, he's a, he's just a, a darn good player. And I was very critical of that pick at sixth overall, but he just continues to show that, uh, it, it may not have been a reach. Well, you got ahead of me on that next question there, so uh, I'm glad that fans will uh, have heard you say that unprompted. Uh, one thing about what you mentioned with uh, the kind of um, weakness that Sider shows where he's too deferential with the puck, uh, that strikes me as something that could be a behavior that could be taught out of him or slowly mm-hmm. worked out of him over time. So let's assume that Sider uh, translates his, his skills to the NHL well enough and, and he can work out those weaknesses. Does he seem like a guy who can project as a top-pairing defenseman or – would you be more comfortable saying that he's a likely top four for now rather than putting that top pairing label on him? I think I, I'm, I used to think he was going to be a number three or a number four. That's where I had him last year. And that's why I kind of had him as a sort of middle of the first round player rather than, uh, and then even for parts of the year, I had him sort of early second round, late first round. He kind of bounced between that sort of late teens to early thirties um, range for me. And uh, I think ultimately that my opinion of him has changed to go from maybe he's a number three or a number four to potentially being a number two. I don't think he's going to be this sort of true dynamic number one defenseman that you see in uh, a player like a Victor Hedman or a Drew Doughty. Like he's not going to sort of rise to that level in the same way that I think some other deep sort of young defensemen in the game can right now, like a Miro Heiskanen, who I think could get there, like a Kale McCarr or a Quinn Hughes, or um, I'm trying to think. Rasmus Dallin obviously has, has, has sort of that potential to be a sort of 25 to 30 minute a night defenseman who can also put up big numbers offensively and, and be dynamic on the top power play unit. And I think Sider is, has a chance to be the sort of minute munching aspect of, of a defenseman like that. Like he's, got the opportunity to be a guy who can play 25 minutes a night 
but I think it's going to be a sort of calmer, more poised, uh, less sort of flashy uh, kind of upside in terms of what he truly projects for as as his sort of clear cut sort of ceiling. So um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I I, I think he now for me has a, an opportunity to be maybe a little bit closer to a number two and play on a top pairing and be that sort of complementary piece to someone who maybe has a little bit more game-breaking talent. Now, as evidenced by uh, the entire season, the Red Wings have a lot of holes in their roster. Uh, a big concern right now is depth down the middle with Dylan Larkin being the only true uh, top six centerman available. Uh, so Red Wings fans are really looking uh, towards the person you had in ranked number two, uh, Joe Valeno. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, what you've seen from Joe Valeno from the World Juniors and your overall look and uh, how he could project on this Red Wings roster. In my viewings of Grand Rapids this year, I've been a little bit disappointed. If, if you've re- listened to me on this podcast previously, you'll know that I really, really like Joe, that I was extremely high on him. I had him 12th overall in his draft year. I believed that he was one of the better picks of the draft, in, particularly one of the better picks of that first round. Um, I love his speed. I love his uh, sort of tenacity. I love his ability to get in on the four check and his ability to penalty kill and uh, the pace that he can play he started to play with a little bit more of an edge, which is something that has been nice to see. And um, all of those things are great qualities. The question was always sort of never whether he was going to be able to play with NHL pace and become a sort of useful tool for an NHL roster. I still think he's going to be that. I think pretty well everyone that you might talk to will that has watched him a lot will probably come away with the same argument. The question is of upside, and that's always kind of been the question is, can he make plays? Can he make enough plays? Can he score enough goals? He certainly, I think, has a touch. He can handle the puck well. He makes the odd difficult pass through a scene that where you think, hey, that, that's a play that not a lot of plays, players can make. Um, but he's never really been a goal scorer, and he's never really been the type to really sort of enforce his will on a game offensively. Even when he took his game to new heights at the QMJHL level, there were still moments in games where you would think, He's making plays because he's faster and he's more athletic than everyone else, and he's playing on the power play, and that's how he's generating his his production. And uh, at even strength, he's chipping in offensively, but he wasn't making the kind of plays that would pull you out of your seat or really break down a team. He was just a smart player who would sort of get to good areas and and make the little plays that would contribute to offense. So my concern, if anything, with him these days is is whether he can be more than kind of a a third-line guy and whether he has enough talent to be a a sort of natural second line player who can put up 50, 60 points or whether he's more of a kind of 40, 45 point player at the next level. So um, that, that will ultimately be the question that I think he has to answer. And I think that has been exposed maybe a little bit at the AHL level this year. Uh, his defensive game, which has always been a little bit of a hallmark, has been exposed a little bit more. He's been caught out of position a few times. He looks like he's kind of chasing the play a little bit, a little much and, uh, when you start to chase the play and to try and force things at the AHL level, it, it almost never works unless you're sort of a, a truly dynamic talent. We saw the same struggles with Zadina early on, where he just looked like he felt like he needed to be scoring all the time, and in doing so was maybe trying to do too much and wasn't letting the game come to him. And I think that's happened with Joe this year. I think it, it, you could have made that argument at the World Juniors, too, where he was good, but he wasn't great. So, um yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for him still. I, I, I do think he has a chance to be a second-line center, and I think he'll probably be a 
see a little bit more out of him offensively, uh, and I'd like to see it come a little bit easier for him. It's Hockey, particularly offense, has never really come that easy for him, dating back to, frankly, when he jumped into the QMJHL very early on as an over as a uh, exceptional status player and never really grabbed hold of it until later in his career. So maybe it's just a slow process and he's got to sort of figure things out, but it, it hasn't been a great season for him per se. Now, as much as I'd love, uh, love to go through every um, person on this ranking uh, player by player, I do want people to go and read your article on the athletics. So uh, I'll spare you that. Um, but I have a couple other broad questions here about these rankings. Uh, is there a, a prospect um, during your whole kind of survey of these the Red Wings system that you think Red Wings fans aren't paying enough attention to who could be something bigger than what they're expecting? Oh, I think there are a few players. Um, I, I, obviously, Soderblom has kind of made waves, so I'm not sure whether he's someone who would kind of fly under the radar just because he's been arguably the best player uh, at, in the Super League junior league in in sweden so he's a kid who's six foot six borderline six foot seven and and has great hands and that's a combination and i tried to highlight i really highlight that in my in my ranking but that's a combination that is very rare the 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 challenge that players with his size often face is is sort of stick handling in tight and, and handling the puck in their feet and coming out of the cycle with possession and uh, stepping past a player with a, a sort of aggressive cut and those kind of things often result in bobbles for for of puck size. So Soderblom's a player who I think is very intriguing just because it's extremely hard at his size to be an NHL player. There are obviously only a couple of players in the NHL every year who are, are in his sort of height and weight class. Um, but he's got just enough skill where I think he's worth keeping an eye on. And then Otto Kevin Mackey is another player who is kind of at the other end of the height and weight spectrum, but I think has a lot of translatable NHL skills. He can make plays with the puck. He can hang on to the puck. He doesn't get knocked around a lot, despite the fact that he's five foot eight. So those are the two players who I think I'll be really interested to see on, on North American ice. I think they'll obviously have to prove themselves at every level. They're not so talented that they're just going to jump from Liga or the SHL into the NHL in a couple of years. So you're looking at three, four years away for both of those players but i think if they come over and play in the ahl i wouldn't be surprised if they start to have an impact fairly quickly and then suddenly you've got some some intriguing depth options there who offer you completely different qualities offensively so my last question about the prospect rankings is actually going to shift this over to this upcoming 2020 nhl draft um the you noted that the red wings have a goaltending pipeline that's kind of uh, unique across uh, the league in that they have quite a few possibly viable goaltenders. Uh, what do you make of this pipeline in terms of uh, guys who could see themselves between NHL pipes at some point? And how do you think that would affect uh, Steve Eisman possibly selecting uh, an Askarov if Detroit does in all likelihood drop to pick four? Oh, uh, well, first of all, I would start off by saying that I don't think that regardless of how bad the perceived need may be for an NHL goaltender and for a sort of true starting goalie for the Red Wings, I don't think that Askarov is is my guy in that kind of a range. I, I know there are teams and scouts that believe that he's a legitimate option in the top five. I'm not one of them. Um, with that said, just in, in terms of your question on, on the pipeline for the Red Wings, they don't have a truly sort of upper echelon sort of top 10 goalie out goalie prospect outside of the NHL. Like they don't have one of the kids who uh, I looked at and 
I had uh, goalies as high prospect rankings um, and several teams that I had multiple goalies in the top sort of six or seven. And um, if, if you read my piece, you'll notice that I, while I have four goalies on the list and one more who I sort of noted as an honorable mention, none of them are in my sort of top 10 Red Wings prospects. So I think they all have intriguing qualities, but there's definitely major unknowns with them. Uh, Keith Petrozelli, who was the kid that I had highest of those five goalies, um, has sort of just started to figure it out. He was really sort of lanky and coming into his size when he uh, started his college career at Quinnipiac, and he has kind of figured it out this season and finally put it all together. And I think he's interesting just because he's six foot five and he's very athletic and he, uh, that athleticism, once you've added some power to his game, makes him a, a really interesting goalie because then now he can go post to post and make some difficult saves. And then he obviously also has that size that kind of fills the net when he's squaring up on shooters for the simpler saves. So Petrozelli is a kid who's really interesting. Carter Guylander is a kid who's really interesting. He's another six foot five goalie who obviously has intriguing size. You don't often see goalies in the NHL nowadays who are six foot, six foot one. So the fact that they're targeting sort of bigger net minders is really interesting. And Guylanders had a great year on the best uh, team in junior A hockey, in my opinion, in Canada right now. So um, he's interesting. He'll obviously be a few years away and it's going to take some adjustment at the college level where he's headed next year. But um, Guylander and, and Petruzzelli, I think, are interesting. Obviously, Eliasson and, and Larson. Um, and obviously, Sweden has a knack for producing goalies. So they're worth keeping an eye on. But uh, between Larson and Elias, and I, I also have a lot of questions with both of those kids. So again, again, there's 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 probably a hit in there when you have five goalies that are quality and they're competing against each other for minutes. I would imagine that one of or two of those kids is going to work his way into the NHL someday. Um, I, I really do believe that. The question is just whether one of those kids is going to be a starter or more of a backup. And if they're a backup, then the goalie probably. Red Wings have moving forward isn't exactly solved, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's tough because this is a draft where Askarov is the clear cut number one, and the Red Wings, Red Wings are likely to be picking in the top five. If that's the case, case I, I just don't think Askarov's a fit there. I think I think you have to go for one of those forwards who's available. So um, it it puts position where they obviously still have a hole that they need to fill as they progress through the rebuild here. Now, talking about the Red Wings pick, um, in all likelihood, they are going to finish last in the league, barring a miracle and a subsequent collapse from elsewhere. Um, that pick is, statistically speaking, going to be number four overall, but there is obviously a chance for one, two, or three. Um, as much as I'd love to sit here and wax poetic with you about just how good Alexi Lafreniere is, um, I don't really think that'd be too productive for either of us. So let's start with Quentin Byfield. Um, I've seen him described as a guy who has all of the tools that you want to see a player uh, like him have. However, he has also been tagged with a kind of risk label in that um, there's a chance that that all might not translate to the NHL. What do you think about Byfield as a second overall pick and uh, the likelihood that he could be um, he could reach his ceiling or his full potential uh, for the Red Wings or another team? I love Byfield, honestly. I'm not worried about him even a little bit anymore. I watched him play when he was 15 years old, playing AAA hockey for the York Simcoe and spent a lot of time in the rink with him that year and watched him play six or seven times live as a 15-year-old. And my big concern back then was, okay, is this kid dominating because he's 30 pounds heavier than everyone else and three inches taller than everyone else? And then he also has some skill or 
or is it really the skill that's allowing him to take over the games? And I think he has shown in the last uh, two years since then that it is absolutely about his skill. He had that my big other big concern with him was that he seemed to lumber in his stride a little bit. He always had power, but he never really had the the sort of technique to really move up the ice and push and push pace offensively. And I have been absolutely astonished by the progression in his skating in the last eight to 10 months. I mean, he is now at a point where he is, he flies through the middle of the ice. He's powerful. He's what he's light. He looks like he's lighter on his feet. Uh, he changes directions better now than he ever has. So there's a, there's just, there's a ton to like about his game. I think people who were put off by his world juniors performance team, recognizing a the role that he was playing he had been asked to switch from his natural center position which he has played his whole life to the wing he was only playing about eight to ten minutes every night which is extremely hard for a goalie who relies on sort of getting touches to or a player who relies on getting touches to make plays um so there's just uh, again there's there's nothing about him that really worries me he's got the size you look for in the number one nhl center he's definitely has the puck skill he can make plays as he can uh, sort of carve through the neutral zone. He, his skating has come to a point now where he's going to be fine at the NHL level, if not a standout skater at the NHL level. So he, he's the real deal, man. He's going to be really good. I, he's not going to be a 90-point player or a 100-point player, but he's the kind of center who you could imagine putting up 70, 80 points in a season. And when you have size and you also have that sort of length and the, the defensive quality that he's likely to have, he struggles on faceoffs, but I think that can come. Uh, there, there's really not going to be a lot there that holds him back, I don't think. Now, uh, a surprise for Red Wings fans is that they are paying attention to another player out of Mannheim in the DEL, although this time they might have a, a little bit of an advanced warning. And that's Tim Stutzla, who seems to have uh, risen dramatically across draft boards, uh, both in you know Bob McKenzie's uh, survey of scouts as well as uh, you know people who are putting out actual prospect rankings. Uh, has Stutzla solidified himself as at least the number three overall pick? Uh, and what do you make of both him as a player and the notion now that he could be a center by whoever drafts him? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think he has solidified himself per se as, as the number three pick, but he's right in that mix. I have believed basically since the beginning of the year that it's a group that runs from three to nine. So you've got half a dozen players who I think you could realistically make an argument for at third overall. And if there has been some separation since then, and I would argue that there has been a little bit of separation with and that that small sort of group right after Lafreniere and Byfield, that he's right among the the sort of two or three players who have who have begun to sort of pull away, if you will. Um, the big thing with him is that he's the best skater in the draft. Like he's the fastest player in the draft. He plays with so much pace through the middle of the ice that he can basically, and he's a great puck handler, so he can basically do whatever he wants off the rush. He creates exits and entries with ease, and then he can take it to the net and try and burn people out wide, or he can pull up and make plays as a passer. So the big uh, question mark with him is how much of a goal scorer he's going to be. If you're taking a player in the top five, especially third overall, um, you want maker and to drive offense as a sort of puck carrier and the kind of player who can make passes and and make his line mates better and run a power play per, for example but you also want him to be able to finish off plays and i think the problem with stutzla 
uh, not a problem per se, but the, the concern with him is that he doesn't have a, a great shot. He doesn't score a lot of goals. And when he does score, it's normally with his hands. He's not the kind of player who can sort of use all that speed he's got off the rush to just sort of rip a, a, a wrist shot in strut in motion sort of cut across the zone on the power play and, and score under the bar. Like he just doesn't have that sort of dynamic quality as a shooter. So I think that's, if, if anything, that's the one concern, but I do think he's going to be able to play center. Uh, he's certainly strong enough. He's at, he's grown an inch in the last uh, year. He's added about 10 pounds in the last year. Um, and he, he's got the skating to play through the middle of the ice. So, uh, and I do believe that centers are better when they're the kind of players that want the puck on their stick and that demand the puck. And he's that kind of a player as well. So uh, I, I think he can play center and I think he, he's going to be a dynamic offensive player. It's just a question of, is he going to be a, a little bit too one dimensional to take um, at, at that kind of a spot third overall? And now I, I know I'm throwing a lot of player specific questions at you, but this is such an interesting draft. Uh, another guy who's seen a meteoric rise has been Marco Rossi, who seems to be this year's, um, you know, Cole Caulfield or Alex DeBrinket or whatever you want to call it, not in the way they play, but just in that their size uh, leads to questions and a lot of discussions. Uh, Marco Rossi um, is five foot nine, but is also producing at an insane clip. Uh, what do you make of him? Is he worthy of that kind of top three or four consideration? And uh, do you think that he is being undervalued or undersold by uh, scouts or, or people putting out prospect rankings? I would argue both of those things are true. I think he's definitely deserves to be in that conversation. And I think he has been undersold dating back to last year when people started releasing their very, albeit very early lists last year, he was the kind of player who was always kind of a 15 to 25 ranked player. Like most scouts you talk to both in the public and private sphere was always a kid who was kind of a middle of the first round viewed as a middle of the first round talent. And I used to argue with scouts all the time about how I wasn't, was very confident he was going to be a, a sort of top 10, top eight pick. Um, and I, I, I'm a little bit biased. I actually lived with Marco for a week last year and did a big story on sort of life in a billet house where I, um, moved into a bedroom at, at his home in Ottawa and, uh, spent a lot of time with him and his billet family and his dad was over at that time and his dad was over with a couple of buddies and I got to know the family and uh, I think that's worthy of noting just because there's definitely a bias that was created there and a relationship that was built but um, he has all of the tools you look for I, I and he is in my opinion the best player in the OHL right now um, that's including Quinton Byfield and company and and some of the the Connor McMichaels of the world who have already been drafted I really do believe Marco Rossi is the best player in the OHL this year um, and part of that is the fact that he's, uh, he's an older player in this draft. He's a, a, almost a full year older than Quinton Byfield is. Um, but he has everything. He is the best defensive player in the, the best defensive forward in the league by a mile. He's going to be a center, even though he's five foot nine. He, this kid is built thick and wide. Like he, you cannot knock him off the puck. He's got a low center of gravity. He's absolutely jacked for, uh, his age, um, and he just makes plays everywhere. Like he makes plays in the defensive zone. He makes plays through the neutral zone. He's dynamic on the power play. He's dangerous in traffic. He can score he can pull up and make, make a play as a passer. Like there's, uh, he gets knocked, I think because of the height and the fact that he's a little bit older. Um, but if he were, I mean, if he were in last year's draft, having the kind of season that he's having right now, he would have been a top 10 pick as well. So, uh, he, he's a fun kid to watch and I think he's going to progress fairly quickly to the pro level. So, 
uh, there's a lot of upside there for sure. So if Marco Rossi does end up in the winged wheel, we can't expect that uh, we'll be inviting both of you onto the podcast the next time. I was just going to say, his, you, should, you should have his dad on the podcast. His dad is uh, something else, man. He's one of a kind. Oh, oh I, I will definitely put some killers out there. Um, okay, so a question here about Jamie Drysdale, obviously the premier defenseman available in this draft. Uh, where do you project him based on the other kind of uh, uh, gold standard defensive prospects that have come out um, in previous drafts? We'll include Cider in this for the sake of it, but I'm talking about you know the McCarr, the Hughes, the Heiskanen's, the guys who are really making a name for themselves in the NHL. Is Drysdale on their level or is this a, a different story? I think at the same age, he's right there, man. I mean, when I look back at the recent drafts, when I look back at Bowen Byron, Moritz Sider, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes, I believed at the time was a cut above the Heiskanen's and the McCars and uh, was a little bit higher on him. I was actually maybe a little bit lower on Heiskanen and McCarr than I should have been in hindsight in their draft years. Um, I, I believed that Heiskanen and McCarr were both sort of that six to 10 range rather than the top five range that they ultimately went and ultimately deserved to go. So I, I, I missed on both of those kids a little bit, but I also thought that Quinn Hughes was a, a th- the third best player in that draft. And I, I think that has, has sort of looked like he is. And um, I, I think he's maybe a cut a below a, a Quinn Hughes and a Kale McCarr in terms of where they are now and where they've ended up and where they're likely to be. I think both of those players have a chance to be number one defensemen and uh, both are basically number one defensemen as is right now or, or damn close. Um, Heiskanen's not far behind those kids. And I, I think if you look at those players and where they were at at the same age, he's right there. I think he's probably a better player than Bowen Byram was last year at the same time. I think he's ahead of where Moritz Sider was at the same time. So he's an electric offensive defenseman. Like he is again, after uh, Tim Stutzla, he's the best second best skater in the draft. Uh, He has the smoothest stride uh, outside of, I don't know, maybe Quinn Hughes in recent memory. He's up there with Dalene in terms of how light and effortless his stride is. Uh, particularly side to side and on his crossovers. Um, and he doesn't have this sort of big power strength that you see in the in the sort of Norris level defenseman. Like he doesn't have that quality that a Roman Yossi or a Victor Hedman has certainly, but um, his skating makes him such a reliable defenseman because he's always on top of you. Like he plays the most ridiculously tight gaps and a lot of players who try to play gaps can get burned like can be a real asset for them but they they can also very easily get exposed and he just never seems to get seems to get exposed even though he's basically glued to the puck carrier's hip up the ice so um he's got all the tools offensively he's smart with the puck puck he's dynamic uh, as puck handler he can score with his wrist shot he doesn't have a big slap shot but he can definitely score with his wrist shot when he jumps up into into sort of holes and pockets in the offensive zone um, and then his skating is world class. So yeah, I, I think he's. Uh, it's tough to say where he's going to go, just because we almost always see a defenseman in the top five these days. So I wouldn't rule that out. But he's definitely going to be in that sort of top eight or nine that I talked about. Now, uh, a question here that's broader about the first round, um, and I'm going to pick on Brad because he's not here to defend himself. A conversation we've been having is, uh, do the Red Wings trade so-and-so for a late first-round pick? So let's say a Pittsburgh uh, or a playoff team wants Athens to see you and they're willing to offer a late first-round pick. Do you do it? Um, 
without telling you who, uh, what Brad and myself answer, what do you feel about the depth of this draft through uh, picks, uh, you know, through the, the first 31 or 32 picks? Uh, and would it be worth giving up an actual player, a top six player for that? Or do you think this isn't the draft where uh, it'd be worth kind of mortgaging that future? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think it would have, again, it's hard to say without knowing exactly what that package would look like and whether there would be maybe something else added on to a late first round pick or which team it is and which round they're likely to exit in and the range of what that late first round pick might look like. But um, in terms of the actual depth of the draft, I can definitely, definitely speak to that. And I think this is a draft that runs about 20 players of 20 quality quality prospects deep again there's a major drop off after nine for me but then into the teens and into the late teens it's really interesting um and the one of the things that's interesting in particular if you're looking at maybe a, a pick that isn't in the top 20 in terms of that range is that this draft is and I don't have uh, very many defensemen in that top 20 range. And so what's going to happen, and this happened last year with, with picks like Cider and Soderstrom that I thought were maybe a bit too high at the time. But what always happens at the draft is you never see a top 20 where there's only two or three defensemen picked. There's always going to be five or six defensemen picked in that range. Plus you have a goalie this year. So I think what's going to happen and I think what a team like Detroit could exploit is that if the, if they're okay taking a forward, there are going to be forwards who slip. There are going to be dynamic sort of high octane second line projected forwards who are going to slip in this draft just because some of those defensemen that maybe don't have uh, loads of talent are, are probably going to be a bit picked a bit higher than I would pick them just because teams feel they need to, to get a defenseman at that slot and, um, so that, that would be something that I would definitely keep an eye on. If, if they're comfortable taking a forward in the top five and then also taking another forward later in the, in the, in the draft, and they don't feel like they have to take a two picks, I think you can get huge value and, and two sort of impact forwards. Obviously that doesn't answer the question with Andreas and whether that's a worthwhile transaction to make. But I do think that there are in the late first round going to be sort of very good future NHL forwards available. Well, don't worry, we'll have uh, plenty more opportunities down the road to ask you some more tough, unanswerable questions. Uh, for the time being, uh, listeners, uh, you know Scott Wheeler pretty well by now, but if you don't follow him on Twitter, it's at Scott C. Wheeler. Uh, you can catch his work on The Athletic. He's currently doing his team-by-team -team prospect pool rankings. Uh, there's a lot coming up in the world of uh, prospects, both for previous years and this upcoming draft. So keep an eye out. Uh, Scott, thank you again, and we can't wait to have you back on. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And welcome back. That was our interview uh, with Scott Wheeler. Um, again, really, really interesting stuff. Notable quotes. Marco Rossi is currently the best player in the OHL, Byfield included, noting that he um, is a year older and has a bias towards Rossi, but still. Um, the things he said about Drysdale were really interesting. I'm not sure if it was enough to sway me to say we should the Red Wings should draft Drysdale, but it was enough to make me say... Is this going to be another guy we don't regret or that we regret not drafting? Because uh, certain Quinn Hughes is burning a hole in my heart right now. Philip Zadina helps. Philip Zadina does help. Um, had a lot of great things to say about Byfield. You know, he didn't have the concerns that a lot of people have that he might be a bust. A lot of great things to say about Stutzla. Really, it just solidified. I know we say this. We said this last year. Um, the Red Wings are in a better position than last year. Like, they're not drafting anyone bad. 
they're not there's no uh massive drop off unless it's you're considering Lafreniere to two through six. I think the Red Wings have their pick of the cream of the crop ignoring Lafreniere. It's obviously all that's a wash if you have a chance at Alexi Lafreniere. Lafreniere or Lafreniere? Because Lafreniere is still French, but Lafreniere is like anglicized French, and I can't tell which one it's supposed to be. Uh, the first time I ever heard his name was a couple of years ago, and it was on one of Bob McKenzie's prospect things, and he emphasized that Lafreniere Englishes it up. Engl- okay, yeah. So it's, so it's not Lafreniere, it's Lafreniere. No, it wouldn't be Lafreniere, but it'd be Lafreniere. Yeah, it's Lafreniere. The accent graph or accent circumflex? Shut up. Circumflex is the little hat in accent graph. I believe, I'm not sure. Shut up. <laughs> um, the, yeah, no. Am I crazy to think that? That if the Red Wings get two, oh, three... Hold on, or- sorry, I got to circle back to my insult. Ferme les bouches. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> well... When we do eventually get credentialed and interview Mantha, you'll be a treat for him. <laughs> How do I just say I'm sorry for everything you've gone through with this team in French? Um, let me think on that because I'm going to think of the most embarrassing phrase that you can say to him. Oh, I've got a few that I can't say on here on the risk that we have French listeners. Oh, remind me to uh, bring Mantha back up because we found out some interesting news about him today. He doesn't look like a pumpkin anymore. No. Um Circling back, am I crazy to think two through four, I feel the exact same for the Red Wings? Sorry, no, not the exact same, but I won't be as upset with four this year as I was with six last year. I still would prefer two versus three to four. The best way I can put it, one, we're all doing backflips. Nobody's upset. Two, I'm the next most happy with, obviously, but that pick is going to come with the most anxiety for me because... I have legitimate concerns about Quinton Byfield. I still have Byfield at two, though. Uh, three, th- not that we can pick worse than four, but three through six. I'm thrilled either way. If Detroit's picking four and someone wants to jump up two spots and Detroit goes to six, fine. Do it. Here's my hot take between Quinton Byfield, Tim Stutzla, Marco Rossi. Are we going to have to get the table going? Yeah, maybe. Because you didn't even mention the guy I would take at three there. Lucas Raymond. I'm still high on the Raymond train. Between Tim Stutzla, Quentin Byfield, and Marco Rossi, not in that order, the Red Wings have an opportunity at a number one center. Yeah, that's true. And that, in my mind, if you can't get the game-breaking winger that's going at number one, what a consolation. I heard someone compare this to... I'm saying I heard someone compare this. This very well might have been Scott. I did this interview with him yesterday. And I, um, it all kind of melts together. Um, but they said, like, I think it was Scott, McDavid and Eichel. Like, yeah, you got Eichel, and that's amazing. You didn't get McDavid because that's a whole different level, but you still got Eichel. And if that's what this is like, devastating. Of course you want a McDavid. And not that Le- Lafreniere is going to be McDavid. But if you get an Eichel out of it, can't be sad. We're not going to draw too many comparisons to Buffalo right it's now. In the box, <laughs> yeah. it can be anything. Even in even in Eichel, even well, I don't, I don't know. You can have a Quinton Byfield, or you can take this mystery <laughs> box. What's in the box? Shut up, boys! It could be anything. It could even be a Byfield. <laughs> it could be a Madison Bowie. Do you like that one? Yeah. Is that upsetting well, for you? As if Madison Bowie would drop to second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, circling back to. Uh, 
before we talk about Bernier again, because I will bring him up, uh, Anthony Mantha, I speculated about this before. Um, his fall was awkward because he kind of fell on his side and his head uh, and his scuffle with uh, Muzzin. And when Muzzin took him down, um, for the Toronto fans listening, feel free to keep yelling at me. Send me the DMs. I really don't care anymore. Um, his rib did break and puncture his lung. He had a punctured lung. Ow. Yeah. Good news is that once you're healed, uh, there's not long-term lasting damage. Someone asked me that. So that's not something that the Red Wings have to be concerned about. He will only come back if he's healed, but he said it could be as soon as mid-February, which would be a nice thing for the team. It's like a week from now. Yeah. I, I Well, 10 days. So a week and a half. If you're going to get exact about it. Well, actually, nine and a half days. There's 29 days in this month, so 14 and a half. February, he can come back on February Valentine's Day and a half. Um, <laughs> have you made your dinner reservations yet? Married with kids, buddy. <laughs> you know what I don't the kids have? kids go to bed early, we're happy. You know what I don't have? Yes. Kids. Kids. Hey, how'd you get How'd you get that? Does, well, you have Abby. That's true. Who loves you? So maybe you should just take her. No. <laughs> Do you want my dogs? You no. can babysit them for a week. No. 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 God, no. You sure? Yes. Uh, I would actually babysit your dogs, but I've seen all EP places and I don't... I like my rugs. He hasn't peed in the house in like a year, dude. Well, not since he came down in the basement and we kicked him out and he... I think he was angry at us. Yeah, at he, I think he, he was making... He was legitimately making a point there. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Okay, Amantha could come back mid-month. Um, and I was like, that's a nice boost. Some people were like, why does it matter? This team's not going to win anyways. I'm like, why do you guys keep reminding me? Obviously, this team's not winning anything. They're going to come in last. We know. We just need reasons to watch. That's not- all I want at this point is reason... If Detroit had the exact record that they do right now, but they were losing every game 7-6 instead of 2-0, I wouldn't be nearly as, I'm not even going to say angry, as apathetic as I am right now. Because not only, I've said it so many times, and all the charts prove it, not only are the Red Wings the worst team in the league, they are the most boring team in the league. They play the lowest event hockey in the whole damn league. Give me Anthony Mantha clap bombs from the top of the circle, and it does something clap for bombs. our entertainment. Clap bombs, for moms, you know? That's what we want. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for saying that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean it seriously, but it sounded so stupid coming out of my mouth. I genuinely, <laughs> I'm very sorry. Uh, some uh, Sarah on Twitter was like, uh, I just want Mantha to score the game-winning goal against Montreal. I want Mantha to score the game-winning goal against their next game against Toronto. In the next game against Toronto. Because right now, Toronto just lost tonight to the Rangers, and they are genuinely in danger of missing the playoffs. And if after everything that happened, and after the Toronto fans said and did what they did to us and our mentions and our DMs after we implied that Muzzin was at fault for what happened to Mantha. Don't you put that evil on me. I was sick for that episode. I am liable for here. Uh liability free liability free you troglodyte listen here that's a five dollar word um if after all of that mantha's goal is what makes them miss the playoffs look i love steve i genuinely love steve and steve's a good enough friend where i'm like no i want toronto to make the playoffs so steve has something to be happy for but wouldn't that be so sweet we have a, a Toronto fan who I know listens to this podcast, Alex. And Alex, I'm so sorry, but it's something that I want. 
I didn't care before the whole Mantha incident. I actually didn't care. I was like, I kind of want to see Toronto in the playoffs. Obviously, they're a great hockey team, and I want to see the best teams in the playoffs. But now, imagine this sweet. Is Toronto better than Florida, though? Yes. More talented. Maybe not a better team right now, but they're more talented. There's just uh, so much. For, at forward, I would argue Florida's probably better on the other at the other two positions. Oh. Now that Bobrovsky's figured his crap out. Yeah, which obviously he was going to. Yeah, but even up front, man, Huberdo, Barkov, Hoffman, Trocek, Dadanov, that can't be too far behind the Leafs' four or five-headed monster. Well, Matthews is... No, you, I get Toronto's still better there, but not by a sizable gap. Brad, you know me. And they blew a lead against Florida. They did, which was like, you cannot, they cannot be losing that game. No. If you want to make the playoffs, you cannot be losing that game. Did you see Steve's video after that game? No, I haven't watched it. Ooh, it took him about 15 seconds to get cross-eyed. <laughs> oh, man. Um, look, Brad, you know me. What is my favorite, I don't know how to phrase this, what's my favorite tone to speak in? Uh, sarcasm. Sarcasm. And what is my favorite, I don't know how to say this, but you know how much I value pettiness and petty revenge. And yeah. if I can't win, I'm taking everyone down around me. Yeah. The Red Wings suck this season. We know that. Everyone knows that. After what happened with uh, the Leafs and Mantha and how their fans responded and the the crap that we took, not all of them. I mean, Steve was great about it. A lot of people were pretty great about it. And like, you can disagree with what we said and think we're wrong without being doing or saying the things that people said after all of that the sweet sweet petty revenge of mantha scoring and denying them the playoffs would just be so sweet it would be chef's kiss i really need to make like an audio overlay for that one day it sounds like too much effort <laughs> for you for me i meant to say and i said it wrong anyways uh moving on I made a point on Twitter that I want to talk about with you here, Bradley. No. Bradley, yes, we're going to talk. I'm tired. Eh, well. Am I going to have to think too hard? Yes, always. Your bar is very low for that. <clears throat> Buddy, you have no idea how low that bar is. <laughs> if I'm thinking about anything other than what time I'm going to fall asleep and what I'm eating after 9 p.m., I'm upset. Jonathan Bernier has posted the stats that we talked about before. A 9.33 save percentage the other night, a 9.64 in even strength, the team got dominated. Uh, that tells me two things. One, it's exactly why I, want, I don't want to take Askarov at four, because no goalie will overcome all of the holes in this lineup. And I think you can much easier find a goalie through free agency or even trade or even through the goalies you have in your pipeline in case you hit on one of them, rather than trying to fill all those holes at once. Because if you don't fill those, no goalie will win. Number two, and more immediate, does Jonathan Bernier have trade value now because of how well he's performing on a terrible team for teams looking for goalie depth? Because as we've seen, if you want to win the playoffs, you need two viable goaltenders. He absolutely would have big trade value right now, uh, probably as high as a second round pick because he's a goalie performing exceptionally well at a very good cap hit for a low end starting goalie with a year left on his contract. So you get some term on there and a reasonable amount of term. But if you're the Detroit Red Wings, you absolutely cannot trade him unless that return is insane. Because right now, he's their only option to start next year, unless you are super confident that you are getting someone in free agency. They can sign a laner. They can sign a... They can get a lot of different people. Imagine a trade with with Toronto where you say, all right, give me a second in Hutchinson. And I give you Bernier. 
So here's a here's the next question I have for you, and I've been putting a lot of thought into this, and I haven't fully formed an opinion on it yet, which is why I haven't brought it up on the podcast. But given that you brought it up, it's worth mentioning. Bernier doesn't have a long track record of success, but he's always been at least okay, and he's had many flashes in his career of being really good like he is now. After next season, he'll be about 31, I think, uh, 31 or 32 years old. So not... Oh, that's younger than I thought. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be super old. Are the Red Wings better off riding out the rest of Bernier's contract and then extending him to what will probably be a very reasonable cap hit for another three, four years, and he's their starting gap goalie Tell a Petrozelli, a Larson, uh, who the hell ever in their system is ready, or are they better off throwing seven mil a year for six years at a Robin Leonard or a Jakob Markstrom. What's because those are their essentially their two options, right? The first one that you mentioned, I would much rather extend Bernier shorter term, lower money. And Petrozelli is not someone who we've talked about a lot right now. He's doing great in NCAA D one hockey. He did very bad and poorly in his first two years in the NCAA. And this year he's been phenomenal, but I think right now there's more value to a an extended at a reasonable cap hit Jonathan Bernier than I think there is for a second round pick because the Red Wings and I think someone else brought this point up already if not I'll make it now there's a contract limit for NHL rosters you can only have 50 NHL contracts on your books and the Red Wings have had the most draft picks in the NHL over the last three years they can't keep all these picks eventually you have to start turning these picks into NHL players so Bernier is an NHL player that would have some value potentially as far out as when the Red Wings are getting back into the playoffs. That's got to be more valuable than a second round pick. And keep in mind, Bernier would be traded to a contender. So we're talking late second. If someone offered pick 32 right now for Bernier or 33, I would, ta- oh I would take yes. it. 100% would take it. But that's not the reality of it. And statistically speaking, second round picks, even good high second round picks have about a 44% chance of ever playing 200 games in the NHL. I'm very strongly in the camp right now of keep Bernier. Look, Bernie has done well for this team and he's played lights out and I'm very comfortable assuming Jimmy Howard either comes back at an absolute minimum or more likely in my mind retires after this year when his contract is up. I'm happy for Jonathan Bernie to take his role, extend him for another three years, give him four million a year if you want, give him a million dollar raise. Extend Asterix. He also has another good year next season. Yes. Um, but I will say this and this is going to sound mean and kind of like a downer, but that I am those two things. Um, he didn't do anything so unique that they couldn't find it elsewhere. And I will go even further to say what he did for this team is good and it's great and very happy for him. And as a fan, we're appreciative. It wasn't even necessary though. No, because the Red Wings. And again, I mean, and I'm a downer. They're not out of this rebuild yet and they're not going to be out of this rebuild next year. And the year after is like you can't you you can't project that solidly. We won't be so arrogant to say that the year after is also going to suck, but things would have to change for that to have a different outlook, right? So, do you really care so much about a winning goalie? I'm not next year. No, I could give a crap. We could throw you in net next year for all I care. Yeah, I, I got a good reaction time, but I'm not. I'm scared of bucks. <laughs> so. Um, but 
the question I ask in my head is, are we going to find a cheaper option on the free agent market that's going to come in for the same money or less than Bernier? And the answer that I'm pretty comfortable saying is no. No. Or you take a flyer on uh, Pavel Francouz. Right. Why not? But that could He's putting up pretty good numbers on a loaded team right now. So that could absolutely blow up. So what though? So what? Because you don't have to worry about that for legitimately three more years. No, you don't need a winning goalie for another three years. Maybe on this team, I don't. We've seen teams turn it around faster. Than no, that. no, I'm you're not, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, that's credit to you. You're right. I'm not saying that's likely here, but you cannot. Uh, okay, if Steve Eisenman came out in a press conference tomorrow and said, "Yeah, we're still going to suck in three years," man, even me as one of the more pessimistic, like realistic Red Wings fans, I'd be pissed. Like, I'm like, no, I get this is a rebuild. If you want to suck this year, good. This is the fourth year in a playoff in a row we've missed the playoffs. That's fine. You want to suck next year. Totally fine. But you damn well better be doing something to be competitive the year after that. So if they're telling me that, oh, we signed Pavel Francouz for four years, $5 million in his first year, he absolutely tanks it. I'm going to be pissed because now this is the guy that's supposed to carry us into the playoffs. Nah, nah, man, I'm... I'm sticking with the evil I know at that point. All right. Yeah. You know what? I, I was coming on too strong with that. Losing Bernier wouldn't be a nothing. You know, it, it would be substantial and it would be something that Eisenman would have to address. But I'm just saying if the return was halfway decent, if they get a second round pick, I think Eisenman's taking it and I would take it too. Depends on the team for me. I would take any second round pick for, for Bernier. I really would. I think, I think the fair price, like, if we're removing market value and we're just taking a fair objective price, Bernier is worth a third. But you consider the circumstance, you consider the the deadline premium, the goalie premium, and the fact that Detroit knows they like realistically need him or at least someone who's doing what he's doing, you set that price at a second round pick. Teams won't be keen to pay it. I don't think they'll get it, but still. I'm just going to pull up upcoming goaltending free agents here. Robin Leonard, Corey Crawford, Jakob Markstrom, Pavel Francouz, Matt Murray, Thomas Grace, Cam Talbot, Halak, Anton <laughs> Kadobin, Mike Condon, no, Brian Elliott, Mike Smith, Aaron Dell, Keith Kincaid, Linus Olmark, Corpusalo, he'll be brought back, Louis Domingue, um, Kivleniks, which is just a fake player for sure. That's uh, uh, an anagram of Elvis Smurz Lickens that they use as backup. Also needs a contract. These are like some of those were R. None of these na- names are screaming confidence to me. And, and the ones that are, I know, are coming in over seven million a year. Three way trade. <laughs> couple, couple worthwhile gambles there, but that's on a short term contract, which. From our perspective, doesn't do Detroit a whole ton of good because by the time they're get, they'd get good again, guess what? Got to pay that guy now. All right. Um, what we're going to do now is move this conversation along. We have more to talk about. Bernier, we have more to talk about uh, trade deadline coming up in uh, future episodes and, of course, way more about draft content. Uh, but we're going move to move over to overtime right now. Uh, and this is a midweek episode, which means uh, our patrons – or the uh, overtime questions are Patreon exclusive. We're going to start off with John Evans says, hello, gentlemen, greetings from Ohio. 
I will always apologize that you have to live there. Uh, been reading about Buddhism to try to get through the season. Did you know that the existence? Uh, did you know that existence is pain and suffering? Um, comes from desire. Who knew that the Dalai Lama was a Wings fan? But the point of my post is to ask you something. What's the worst way to lose? Are you more heartbroken after your team loses in overtime, or does it hurt more to lose five nothing and never have a chance? It depends on the context. Uh, yeah, right now overtime because it's a needless point <laughs> for the standings that the Red Wings don't need. Um, oh, maybe it's always overtime because I'm like, if the team was good, then I hate that they no, lost. Think about playoffs, not hard, playoffs. Definitely overtime, but man, that seven one shit kicking we were at Detroit Buffalo last season. I would never want to pay to experience that ever again as long as I live. At least with an overtime loss, you're enjoying 62 minutes of that game, give or take. Cyril Rabicki says, hey, Ryan, Brad, and maybe Evan, I was wondering who you would consider the uh, Red Wings' biggest draft steal of all time, considering both their spot in the draft and career at the Wings. Nicholas Lidstrom. In my mind, the candidates are Zetterberg, 7th round, Datsuk, 6th round, and Lidstrom, 3rd round. Obviously, Lidstrom wasn't picked quite as late, but getting the second best defenseman of all time in the third round is a massive steal. And you nailed it, Cyril. It is absolutely Nicholas Lidstrom. Um... I'll also throw out Konstantinov in the 11th round and Holmstrom in the 10th as honorable mentions. Fedorov was not first round also. Keep up the great work. Yeah, next easy answer there. Austin Trotman says, is there any former Red Wings in the league you'd prefer or you would like to see brought back to Detroit? Um, um, for skill or sentimental reasons? Both. Gus. Yeah, Gus, Gus. Gus and Tatar I love. And Tatar's on pace for like a 70-point season in Montreal. Gus was my favorite. I miss Gus. Joseph Delia says, sup, my dudes. Stevie was drafted where? That's right, fourth. Where will the Wings be drafting this year? That's right, fourth. It's going to happen, and we got to get used to it. Peterborough doesn't have anybody worth drafting. Let's say the Wings make the finals in five years from now. Who's the team in the West that makes it? Thanks, my dudes. Five years from now? So basically a team that's best built to be good long term. Uh, This could actually be fun. Because I would say Colorado. Yeah, Colorado is built to be good long-term. Yeah. Maybe in five years, Edmonton makes it. <laughs> good job, right? Um, Connor Jacob- McDavid is capable of going Super Saiyan, more so than he already has, because that's about the only way. Uh, Crosby did that enough years until it stuck. They he had, had, yeah, he had Malkin, but... And Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl, yeah. Dreisaitl's a game-breaking center, and he plays on their second line. <laughs> yeah, but Dreisaitl isn't Malkin. <laughs> No, Dreisaitl and I don't think you, Malkin is prime. I don't think you need to be. I think That's Dreisaitl fair. McDavid is this generation's, uh, or Dreisaitl McDavid is this generation's Malkin Crosby. And there's going to be arguments for which tandem was better. And I think the answer is obviously Crosby Malkin, but both sides would have an argument. Um, Jacob Charlop says, Hey guys, as this season has somehow gotten even worse lately, let's go to pretend land. Say all of our young core, including prospects came into the organization at the same time. Who ends up with the C's and the A's? Do we keep, get captain most cider? Keep it up. You guys are the best, uh, captain material, the three, like if we're just looking at their intangibles, yada, yada, yada. I think the three candidates there are cider Larkin and Valeno. Yes. Um, honorable mentions to maybe a McIsaac. Eh, nah. Uh, Soderblom, who um, uh, Scott was huge on. So, Lars, you're going to be pumped about that. Or you were pumped about that. R- so- Rasmussen's that that Jonathan Taze type leader type. Could yeah. see that. 
Woodson says, hey guys, love the pod and I look forward to it each week. Uh, with the Wings calling up Lindstrom instead of Mo, do you think Detroit is planning on Mo playing in the AHL the entire season and we have to wait till next season to see him in Detroit? No, I think he'll get his look and it'll be closer to the end of the year. There's no reason not to at this point unless they just want to get him in a groove. Haroon Khan says, hey guys, just saw the lineup ahead of the Buffalo game in practice and I see Abdulkader on the second line and Ernie and Perlini rotating in and out. That's not all. I see Bowie and Daly in. This is exactly the kind of problem Red Wings fans are tired of. Abdulkader hasn't registered a point, a single point in three months and somehow he's on the second, <laughs> second line playing the position of boat anchor. Daly is another train wreck who provides nothing to the fans of this team other than a throbbing headache and he gets put in instead of Bowie who's significantly younger and has some offensive ability to chip in why that's a great question why don't forget you missed helm on the first line so um just a fun little follow-up to when these lineups were posted uh brock sagan from the daily Faceoff uh tweets the lines and all that and it has i forget what the statistical analysis behind it is but it has like Score, l- yeah. league rankings for each line behind it like this is the 20th out of 31 first lines in the nhl uh detroit's uh line rankings with the combos as such were 31 31, 22, and 28. (laughs) Uh, He goes on to say, someone please explain why Perlini isn't on the second line. We know Abdulkader sucks. What we don't know is if Perlini is something. I think Blaschel has shown that uh, what he is as a coach far too many times, and this guy has got to go. Like, I can't watch Abdulkader on the second line. The games are already so hard to watch. May the hockey gods hear my prayers and help us win the lottery. Thanks, guys, and let's go Red Wings. Um. Just because we don't care about the lineups anymore doesn't mean we don't think they're objectively stupid. Uh, Benji says, what's up, boys? I come from the land of demon farts, stand-up wiping, and pineapple bets. Ah, the good old days. It's wonderful to hear how much both of you, uh, both you guys and the commenters have gotten. Um, it would be, it would drive me crazy when the wings would make a trade and then there would be 15 comments of people asking what you guys thought about the trade. I think he meant how much better we got and the commenters got. Um, let me tell you how much we appreciate that too. Yeah. Um, like, come on, people. They have a hockey podcast. Of course, they already talked about the trade. Uh, anyways, here's a fun fact for you guys. If you, if all teams keep up their current points per game, the Red Wings will math- will be mathematically eliminated on February 18th after game 62. <laughs> the Wings will have 32 points uh, with a possible 72 or 32 points. Yeah, with a possible 72. The Islanders will have 75 points. Florida and Philly will each have 73. I'd bet my sweet bippy that it'll happen sooner, though. It's going to be an exciting last quarter to the year. Now I think I'm supposed to tell you cheese bags to stay fresh. Peace. Benji, that was a great comment. Thank you, pal. Evan Beckner says, hey, guys, did you know that punctured lungs aren't always caused by broken or fractured ribs? If you have enough air in your lungs and experience a high pressure event, they can just pop like stomping on a balloon. Ain't that neat? Why? I didn't want to know that. No, but that's actually interesting because that might be what happened. (laughs) Uh, Matt says, Hey, uh, Hey guys, who do you think will be the next few wings to have their numbers raised to the rafters? My hope is Sergey, Vlad, Pavel, and Henrik in that order. I think he has that order nailed down. Yeah, that's, that's right. You could, you could almost raise Would this work. Yeah. Sergey and Vladdy at the same time, but only one banner. They can share it. Just flip it every other game. <laughs> Sir. Oh, you're funny. That's funny. <laughs> I like how you did that in your head, like the visual in your head yeah, of the 91 yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 91, flip it, 16. It'll work. Yeah, I had to do it Because you don't actually have to flip the numbers. You just rotate it. Imagine they have it like on this rotating thing, like the Vitruvian man, just like spinning <laughs> around. Um, I think I think that's it. I, I think Sergey has to be in the rafters. I think they, despite how Pavel left, Pavel Datsuk at his prime was the best player in the world. 
and nearly brought them two cups or nearly brought them three cups. He he was a big part of two of them. Um, Sergey's got a heart, so he, he was the best player in the world for at least a season. Yep. Austin Heuser says, uh, gents, with the news today about Mantha's punctured lung and the lack of discipline from Muzzin when the injury occurred, do you think it's time for a complete rehaul of how the Department of Player Safety hands out discipline? God, yes. That needed to happen five years ago. I know that they've been a joke for a while, but why not implement something like an eye-for-an-eye policy? You injure a guy with a hit deemed to be illegal, your suspension is for as long as they're out. In this case, the league thought Muzzin was clean, so maybe my plan doesn't work at all. But I'm just bummed that a BS move like that put one of our best players on the shelf for that long. Also, has anyone found Trevor? Ferk. Trevor. Terry. Terry. Who's Trevor? Oh, God, we lost another one. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. We lost Trevor. I, I don't think an eye for an eye policy is would be clean. Like it, it's not, It doesn't work perfectly black and white like that, but I do agree that something more substantial should be in place i don't know yeah. what it is you, i don't have an answer but you can't do i for now there's too many variables like um like what? let's say when johan bronson came back and, and x and buddy and solving just, for y shut the hell up <laughs> just shut up family labouche um because if there's a guy that's injury prone to something and you do something like slightly uh, out of bounds and you just clip the guy or whatever and then his career's over <laughs> imagine mark giordano exploded uh, mcdavid's knee on that, like, it wasn't a clean play, but, like, on that one play, and then McDavid, who has a fragile knee, his, like, three years ended, and Giordano had to sit his the last three years of his career. Yeah, it'll never happen. Stay fresh. And also, teams would strategically do that, too. Like, oh, this first-line player injured this fourth-line guy on our team. Yeah, oh, four months minimum. Uh, he had four stitches. Five, maybe. <laughs> we uh, have video of him in... Uh, uh cancun i was like ah, oh, i saw him they're like he's six foot six and he looks like elmer soderblom i don't know why i keep bringing him up it's lars lars is making me talk about elmer soderblom a lot stay fresh cheese bags of fournier company says rank the most to least likely to be traded this is good daily athanasiu lindstrom hiroshi bernier all right um one daily, daily two, two bernier athanasiu Hiroshi Lindstrom. I don't really care. Yeah. Bernier. Then I'll say Hiroshi Lindstrom because the team seems to be big on Lindstrom. What are the plausible returns we're looking at here? Daily, fifth or worse. Uh, Mid round pick would be a blessing from the hockey gods. Athens, you, you're looking for minimum first round pick or you don't consider it unless there's a really good prospect coming as well. Uh, Bernier, second is great. Anything less than a, a good a second, you don't even consider it. Hiroshi and Lindstrom, I don't even know if you... Equal prospects. Yeah. Because you're probably not trading them for picks at this point. Those are weird deals to make. Nice Patreon-only episode. Yeah, guys, we release a Patreon exclusive. So if you're on Patreon, you can... Uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to it on Patreon. Or go on Patreon and get your uh, personal RSS feed. And you can listen to it however you get your podcast. Um, to lightly touch on that, a five-barrel cannon is sorely needed. Stay fresh cheese bags, a nice New Zealand Sauve Blanc. Any Marlboro pairs well with mild cheeses like Swiss or Provolone. Mike Babcock can still go <laughs> fist himself. Last question is from Chris Smith. He says, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I was hoping that the mid-season grades episode would just have been the intro. One of you guys saying F. <laughs> Didn't we joke about doing that? We really should do that. The whole intro, F. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Wake Podcast. What it was. I seen an I seen an article online somewhere. I can't remember for the website, but I want to say it was a Leafs website, and it was like during all the 
contract negotiations title of the article is should the Leafs trade Mitch Marner? You open the article. No, that was the article. <laughs> uh, and with that, Brad has a late night ice time uh, and I have a lot of editing to do. Uh, so we're going to wrap up. We want to thank all of our listeners, our Patreon sponsors, our name level sponsors, Ryan's Ryan's favorite bastard, Arjun Shanker. Uh, those are two different people, but I like saying it that way. <laughs> Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Kayla Thompson, Mitchell Shinkowski, Aaron Taylor, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Mike Reed, Ryan Lewis, Langabeer, Clayton Van Dyken, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Qasem, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Sean Levine, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Craig Kibble, Rob Thiel, Simon Anderson, John Evans, Kwaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna murder Brad. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.